You're listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. Jesus has made access to God possible. Learn more on this message by Pastor Ariel Marquez. We are now on our second installment for our series called Past Perfect. Everybody say Past Perfect. Basically, this is a series on a look into the Old Testament, about four pictures that are significant which foreshadow the coming of the Lord and which was made perfect through the ministry of Jesus. And these are all about the redemptive story. And so if I may just read the objective for this uh, series, it's to highlight the significance of God's sovereign plan for salvation that is revealed in the Old Testament. And how many of you know that salvation has already been planned? By God in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament. God has a plan for us to be saved. And it was fulfilled through Christ's life and death and eventual resurrection. You know, as uh, we have talked about last week, last week we talked about uh, the Lamb of God, that Jesus is the Lamb of God. In Tagalog, siya ay kordero ng Diyos. How many of you familiar with that, right? I thought when I was a younger boy, I thought it was Caldero ng Dios. I, I used to call it Caldero ng Dios, and we would sing the song Caldero ng Dios. You know, I, and I realized later on it's not Caldero, it's Cordero. Okay, and it's the, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it is one perfect Lamb that is more than enough. When Jesus Christ was hanging on that cross, when He was crying out. Uh, at the top of his lungs, and when he said, finally, it is finished, that our sins have been atoned for. That is one picture that we would see in the Old Testament. Priests and heads of families would actually uh, kill a lamb in order for them to atone for the sins of their family members. A big uh, picture that we've talked about last week was that of the Passover. Everybody say Passover. That when the angel of death saw the uh, blood on the doorpost, applied by the Israelites, he basically passed over that house and he did not touch anyone in that household. But in the Egyptian household, we know that the firstborn son died because the blood was not there. How many of you appreciate the blood of Jesus that is more powerful than the blood of any bulls or goats or lamb? Amen. How many of you are saved and are grateful for the salvation of Jesus Christ? Please raise your hand. All right. You know for sure that you're going to heaven. Please raise your hand. Great. It is not audacious to say that I am going to heaven. It is not too flamboyant or proud to say, if someone asks you, are you sure that you're going to heaven? You can actually say, yes, I'm sure that I'm going to heaven because it's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Amen. It's not about us. Tell the person beside you, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the finished work of Christ. We are saved because of the grace of God. We are saved by faith because of the finished work of Christ on that cross. That's why we can honestly stand on the promise of God that when God says, okay, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart uh, that He is resurrected from the dead, then we are saved. It is a simple promise. And we stand on that promise. It's not because of whether you've read your Bible today or you prayed five hours yesterday or you gave in the offering or maybe you attended your victory. It's not about that. That's important. But our salvation is not based on what we do. Our salvation is based on what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Today, we're going to be talking about another picture. Last week, it was the Lamb of God. Today, we're going to be talking about the priest. Everybody say, the priest. Parang movie, no? Uh, you know, about, you know, the high priest that Jesus was and the ministry that he had as a, as, as a great high priest. You know, growing up, I was um, kind of like a religious boy and I was really fascinated looking at things inside the church. Uh, I grew up and studied in Catholic schools. When I was a young boy, when I was in Tondo, I used to go to Immaculate Conception Academy of Manila. And then we moved here in Paranaque, and I went to a school inside BF Homes called Manresa School. How many of you are from Manresa School? Please raise your hand. Okay. It's a school run by nuns. Okay. So in other words, palaki ako ng madre. But anyway, so, uh, so I was exposed to this. And 
you know, I remember one time, uh, even as a young boy, I had a, you know, kind of like a fascination for you know, the priest and looking at their priestly robe, they're wearing white, so I'm wearing white today, okay? Uh, you know, they're wearing this white robe and sometimes they're wearing this sash depending on the, the event. And, you know, I wonder, you know, there's such a mystery that uh, they have every time they would go in the middle of the church and get the Eucharist there. And so we would wonder, you know, as a young boy, I was wondering, what's inside there? And so what I did was I actually applied to become an altar boy. I went uh, in BF and I actually uh, asked to join the Dominic Savio Club, something like that. And so I became an altar boy. And so I, I was a bit closer to the priest this time. And I would serve, you know, even during the communion and so, so on and so on. But, you know, I, but the whole thing is it's all about like very ceremonial for me. And so that's like my concept of priests. Now, how many of you are familiar with priests? I think all of us, right? <laughs> because this, uh, you know, majority is Catholic. And so I grew up looking at that. And I remember when I was in high school, after going through a uh, retreat, I almost made a commitment to join the seminary. And, you know, I was counting the cost. And when they told me that, you know, in the seminary as a priest, you've got to get the vow of poverty, I, I guess I, you know, maybe I can live with that. And then they told me, and then you've got to have a vow of celibacy. I said, I cannot live with that. <laughs> because, <laughs> because I guess I'm uh, into relationships at that time. And I know for a fact that I will be married, and I want to get married, and I want to have kids. And so... You know, the story goes after, you know, my went to college, I, I kind of dropped the idea of priesthood, eventually got married, and then after getting married, God called me in the ministry as a pastor. And I didn't realize that somehow there's like a thread that God had planned for me growing up, a, a bit of an interest in the ministry side of things. And, you know, but there was a big difference. There's a difference between the Old Testament priest and the New Testament pastors. And we're going to dissect and we're going to study the different, uh, even some of the ceremonies that they're doing that we don't necessarily have to do nowadays. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4 and stand with me. Uh, we're going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 4. I'd like everyone to stand. Everybody stand with me. Uh, as we give reverence to the Word of God, Hebrews chapter 4. How many of you know that God loves coffee? Because he brews. Okay. Yeah. I got to let that out of the system. Anyway, so Hebrews is actually in the New Testament. After Mark, Luke. After Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And then GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I normally call that group of books as Gentile Eat Pork Chop. Okay? Uh, GEPC, Gentiles Eat Pork Chop. And then after that, you see the five uh, letter T books. 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus, and then there's Philemon. And then after that, you find Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Let's just uh, read from the ESV version. If you have the ESV version, could you please read out loud uh, with me? Verse 14 to 16. Ready? One, two, three. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, the preaching of your word. This afternoon, we ask that you would give uh, your people once again a greater appreciation of the promises of uh, your Bible through, fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that you would give us a greater love and a greater devotion for him. Lord, being the great high priest, Lord God, who, Lord, basically offered not just the blood of lambs and bulls, but basically offered his life for us. We thank you, Lord God, that you bless his preaching, and we ask that you would open up our ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us as a people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right, just to give us a background on Hebrews, uh, just very quick background. 
Hebrews was actually uh, written by what scholars would say, the Apostle Paul. But because of some nuances in the style, other, other scholars would actually say that it may actually be another author. But uh, nonetheless, the purpose of the book is really to encourage the Jewish people. That's why it's entitled Hebrews. It was addressed to the Hebrews and the Jewish people who were leaving their old religion, which is Judaism, and turning into Christianity. Now, in Judaism, we know that there's so many um, ceremonial laws. There's so many mosaic laws that they've got to follow. And so, the author of this book is trying to prove that what they have in Christ is superior to the, to the old religion. That's why there's a presentation you know, uh, of Jesus compared. He's better than angels. Jesus is better than Moses because many of the Jews are believing that they are descendants of Moses and that Moses was the lawgiver. And so they would always refer to their faith as that of Moses. But the author of Hebrews is saying, no, Christ is superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's got a better covenant. And in fact, he's got a better, uh, uh, a better stand as a priest because there's also a comparison about the sacrificial system of the past in Judaism and how the priestly ministry had brought them thus far. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus is the great high priest. Not just a high priest, but the great high priest. In fact, Jesus is the only one who was given that title, great. Everybody say great. Because most of the high priests in the Old Testament were just referred to as high priest. And they came from the family of Aaron. We're going to talk about that later on. Now, why do we need a high priest in the Old Testament? It all started when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. When they chose to eat the fruit, they sinned and they disobeyed. Can you imagine if Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree of life, they would probably be still alive today. But they chose to eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which is specifically what God has forbidden for them not to eat. So what happened was they were banned from the garden and the relationship was severed. There was a cutting of a relationship between man and God, but yet God really designed us to have fellowship with Him. How many of you know that God made you to have a relationship with Him? There is a void in our hearts longing to have a relationship with God. Inside a man and a woman is this longing to be close to God. And how many of you have actually prayed you know, uh, a prayer that you felt like it doesn't even go past the ceiling? Parang pagka-pray mo, bumabounce back sa'yo. Have you ever tried praying like that? You know, I remember when I was younger, you know, we would actually raise, me, me and my brother, we would actually pray this memorized prayer, you know, the Lord's Prayer, and we would pray it as fast as we can, but even if I win, I felt like, did you hear me, Lord? I thought about never And it seems like it just went back. And the feeling is not because I prayed a fast prayer. It's because of guilt and it's because of sin. And because we have sinned, there is guilt. There is fear. There is isolation. These are exactly the feelings of Adam. When Adam actually was being searched by God in the garden, and when God said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I was hiding because I was afraid because I realized I was naked. And that's the effect of sin. If we sin, and how many of you know that all of us sin? How many of you have sinned at least once in your life? Please raise your hand. If you're not raising your hand, you just sinned right now. You just lied, okay? Because all of us, have sinned. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? It's death. The question is, did Adam and Eve die right away? No, but they're on their way to death. There was a slow deterioration of their life that eventually they had to die. God wanted them to have you know, a long life, if not eternal life, because of the design of man. That's why Jesus, when he came to the cross, that is exactly the gift that he is offering to you and me, eternal life that we will no longer die because of our life in Christ. Amen. But the problem is what? Sin. The problem is this word, S-I-N, sin. And the effect of sin to man is this. Can we read this out loud, these three statements? Ready? One, two, three. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. It will cost you more 
than you want to pay. That's the price of sin. Sometimes we think that this is just a petty sin. You know, I'm just saying a white lie. Or I'm just stealing paper clips from the company. Or I'm just borrowing bond paper for my project of my kids. You know, even if we think that this is just a small thing, how many of you know that that is a trap? Because one small thing would lead to another small thing and another semi-small thing, and eventually it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it's actually a snowball effect. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. And sometimes, a little compromise here, and you would actually say, after this, I'm going to stop. But in reality, you still want to go further. You want to try you know, where this will lead. You know, you want to try, you know, if for example, you are in a relationship with a woman and you're single and, you know, you're, you know how it is. Sometimes you can get physical. And when you start touching that person, how can you stop? You know, I remember when, you know, I got engaged with my wife, the first time I touched her, there was like 10,000 volts there. I mean, there was electricity there. I'm not really sure if you understand what I'm saying. But maybe for you who are married now, the first time you, you touch your girlfriend or your wife, there's something there. And then after being electrocuted for a while, you get used to it. You call it desensitized. You become desensitized to it. You know, you get used to, oh, I'm holding her hands now. No more electricity. The voltage has gone down. So you move up. You move to the arm. Are you getting the picture? And then after a while, you get used to the arm. No more electricity. Where do you go? You move to the shoulder. After the shoulder, anyway, I have to stop there. Because there's no way to go but down. And so that's the picture of sin. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. And before you know it, your girlfriend will tell you, I'm pregnant. How did this happen? Hello? Nagtanong ka pa. You get what I'm saying? That's the effect of sin. And so God had to devise a way on how to bring us closer to Him. And from day one, he instituted the sacrificial system. We see this, that when Adam and Eve wanted to just cover themselves up with human effort, and that's the picture of human effort, Adam took fig leaves and started the first fashion statement and wore Dolce and Gabbana. And God said, that's not the garments that I designed for you. You have to use animal skin and for for God to take animals and make skin out of them, He has to first kill an animal. That's the picture of the atonement and the sacrificial system. From day one, God already gave us a picture and a foreshadow of what is to come in the person of Jesus Christ. Are we getting the story? That from day one, you know, all the stories in the Old Testament really would point to the person of Christ. You call it foreshadowing. You call it typology. You call it, you know, what is to come. These are merely marks and signs that we are getting it. And for us who are New Testament believers, we look at the experience of the Israelites, we know, ah, okay. I wonder why they didn't get it. Because maybe if you were living at that time, you probably will not get it as well. We're just so fortunate and blessed that we have the Word of God, that we can actually read it out. And we can actually have, get a revelation of the ministry of Christ for us on that cross. So the need is heavy for us to come to God. However, we know that even in government, uh, human government or government of different countries, there is what you call proper protocol. You cannot just approach the king. For example, you know, our God is a holy God. You cannot just approach God just like that. You're in the same way like in human governments, there is what you call royal or proper protocol. One time when the, uh, when the tennis champion of Thailand by the name of Paradorn Srichapan, several years ago, I think he won one Grand Slam, and the king of Thailand named King Bumibol uh, called him to come to the palace for a courtesy call. Now, 
This tennis player is six foot two, very tall, and I'm not really sure what the king's height was. Maybe he was about maybe five eight or shorter than him. But the protocol was this: when Paradorn Shrichapan approached the king, he didn't approach the king just by walking at the hallway. You know what he did? His stance and his posture was he crawled before the king because that is what you call royal protocol. What they believe in that country is that you should not, your head should not be above the eyesight of the king. The moment the king looks up, you're dead. He should look down on you. And so he was actually there at the bottom near the foot of the king. Protocol. Now one time the royal couple, the Duke and the Duchess of Cambridge, was approached by LeBron James. You probably know the story. And LeBron did not really know anything about royal protocol. And one rule with royalty is never to touch them, period. Do not touch the royalty. And that's exactly what LeBron did. Not only did he touch, he actually you know, put his arms around Kate Middleton. And there, she was a bit embarrassed because of that. He broke protocol. When the Ascals were actually uh, invited to uh, Malacanang Palace to visit the president after one championship game, you know, the Ascals are football players. They're used to wearing shorts, jerseys, rubber shoes. But guess what they were wearing when they were in Malacanang Palace? They had to wear barong. Maybe some were tempted to wear rubber shoes, but they could not. Because that is the protocol of the palace. In the same way, there is a protocol when you approach a holy God and our condition is for sinful men. Can you imagine? There is such a disparity between a holy God and a sinful man and we are separated from Him because of sin and God and man wanted to commune with God. And so the remedy for this, the Old Testament answer was for God to institute the role of the priesthood. So the Old Testament had this priesthood and the priest is one who performs sacred rites of a religion especially a mediator between God and man. Are you getting it? So that's the role of a priest. So you would see that the priest is not, something, it's not someone who we are familiar with just in our church, in, in, in the Catholic Church here in the Philippines, but even in the Old Testament. But yet the Old Testament priesthood is actually doing a lot of different ceremonial duties. Okay, He is one of the central themes uh, in one of the major festivals in Israel called the Yom Kippur. Everybody say Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is actually a uh, festival called the Day of Atonement. Yom meaning day and Kippur meaning pardon. It's a day of pardon. And once a year, everybody say once a year, the high priest would actually do a sacrifice so that it will be acceptable before God so that God can give forgiveness for the whole nation of Israel. Once a year, every year they would do this. It's a major festival that they have. No work is required for that day. Everybody is called to fast. Everybody say fast. Everybody should not be eating on that day. They are to humble themselves before the Lord. And so the picture was, for, of course, the genealogy of uh, the priesthood, it all came from Levi. Levi is not the maker of genes. Basically, he is one of the sons of Jacob. One of the 12 sons of Jacob was Levi. And so Levi had three sons, Gershom, Kohath, Merari. These are called Levitical clans. Not everyone is called to become a priest. But all the priests have got, had to come from the Levitical clan. Not all Levites are priests, but all priests are Levites. Did you get it? Because priests are actually coming from the lineage of Amran, Basically, not from Moses nor Miriam because Moses had two siblings. When he went to Egypt to deliver the nation of Israel, he had two siblings, Aaron and he had Miriam. Aaron was chosen by God specifically to serve as the high priest in the nation of Israel. So you would see that under Aaron, he had four children. However, the first two older children sinned before the Lord and fire consumed from the presence of the Lord, and they become lichong kawale overnight. Because they, you know, they actually offered an authorized fire before the Lord. So it was given to Eleazar. Now, in order for 
a son of Aaron to become a high priest, he has got to be the eldest in the family. So every firstborn male in the family of Aaron is to assume the position of the high priest. And all the other siblings are to be priests. Okay? So let's now look at the Leviticus account. In Leviticus chapter 16, it says, And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garment. So that's a very colorful garment that the priest would actually wear every time they make a sacrifice. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of the meeting and of the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly. How many of you know that he has a lot of job to do? Atonement for everybody. One high priest. Now, as I said earlier, the Yom Kippur is basically that particular time of the year. It happens every 10th of the 7th month of the Jewish calendar. You know, I don't want to bore you with all these details, but this is basically what they're doing. And so I just wanted to demonstrate the details of being a high priest and how, you know, cumbersome it is to live in that era. Can you imagine if you come to victory next week and the, the sacrificial system is still in place? You know, can you imagine you have to bring a dove or a lamb or a goat or a bull to church for the offering and the high priest, whether it's Pastor Sunny or Pastor Jonathan or myself, will take the knife and then cut it. And can you imagine, you know, each one of us will be bringing different sizes of offering. Now you can imagine... You can actually say, oh, that guy probably sinned a lot more because he's bringing a big bull in the church. Whereas the other one is just bringing a little dove. The reason why there are different kinds of sacrifice or animals is because of economic reasons, not because of the, the, the size of the sin. Now imagine this for a moment. And this is just going to be quick. The high priest on Yom Kippur Day, in preparation for Yom Kippur, he would separate himself from his wife and from his children for several days. And he would actually live in the temple. And he would isolate himself. You know, that's how it is. To prepare the priest because the priest has to be holy for Yom Kippur. And the first thing that he would do is he would actually wash first on that day and put on the priestly robes and do the first service. And after doing the first service, he would take them off again and wash again. He would do this several times. Then what he would do now is he would take the bull. Okay? Can I ask Pastor Carlo to be the bull? Sorry, <laughs> the representation. Okay? Just imagine Pastor Carlo is the bull. Okay? You can actually just stand there. Okay? The bull in PBA, Nelson Asaitono, right? Okay, so, so there's the bull. Okay? I would not slaughter the bull first. As a priest, the bull is meant to basically atone for my sins and the sins of my household. That is the role of the bull. It's a big animal, okay? So what I would do is I would lay my hands on the bull and I would actually confess my sin to the bull, okay? Lord, forgive me because I blew up this morning because when I passed MCX, there's another car who caught me and I got so ticked off and I said, I hate you! And I cursed that guy, and I realized he's a member of our church. It's something like that, okay? So, you know, so I, I'm doing this confession right now, and so I'm, I'm just passing on the, the guilt, okay? The picture is I am passing the guilt to, to him. It's more of like a substitution of sorts, okay? So I let him there for a while, okay? Not yet to die, but later he will die, okay? After the bowl, I would go and take two goats, Two identical goats. One goat is labeled for the Lord, and the other goat is labeled scapegoat. Now, it will be drawn by lot, whether the first goat will be the for the Lord goat, and the second goat will be the scapegoat. Now, the for the Lord goat will be instantaneously slaughtered. Okay, so can you imagine the pressure on the goat? Because it's actually, a, you know, you draw the lot, di ba? Can you imagine if you are the goat, di ba? So, so you draw that, you, you die right away. So then, you, the, the blood is, to, you may sit down for a while, Pastor Carlo. And then the, the bowl will be there to basically 
catch all the blood from this goat. Now, the second goat is called the scapegoat. I would do exactly the same thing that I did to the bull. Now, I would actually lay my hands on the scapegoat, and I would actually, actually confess the sins of everyone in Israel. Not my sins. My sins are on the bull. But, then, but can you imagine, how, how long will I confess the sins there? Lord, select all. <laughs> Copy-paste. Uh, I don't know how they did it. Okay? I don't know how, 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 you know how long the ceremony was. So, so, and then what I would do is I would now tie a red tape on the neck of the goat to identify that this is a scapegoat. Now, what they would do is there would be a volunteer who would take that scapegoat to go outside the Israelite camp. Because the picture is this scapegoat will take all the sins of the nation of Israel away from them. And the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And so they would actually release that scapegoat, and they're hoping that that scapegoat would not come back again. What some would do is they would actually lead that scapegoat near the cliff, and slowly push that safe goat off the cliff, okay? Bye-bye. Something like that, okay? So either way, you die. But anyway, so, so that's, the, that's the purpose of goats. And then I go back to the bull, and I would kill the goat. Get all the blood. Thank you, Pastor Carlo. And now I get the blood of the bull. I go inside the holy of holies, the mercy seat. I'm going to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Basically, that represents the presence of God. Can you imagine how intricate the job of a priest is at that time? I, aren't you glad that we don't have to do that anymore nowadays because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, praise God, that once and for all, He shed His own blood for us, that that blood is good enough. One sacrifice. Everybody say, one sacrifice. No longer year after year, but once and for all, Jesus gave His blood. And that blood is better than the blood of bulls and goats and lambs and doves and turkeys or whatever, okay? It's the perfect blood. It's the perfect sacrifice. Because the old system is marked insufficient. It was insufficient. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 says, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And this is where we get the word mediator. To mediate is to act on behalf of men, and that's exactly what the priest is. He's kind of like a representative. He's kind of like a, you know, a, someone who would uh, substitute for you or speak on your behalf, rather, okay? to offer gifts and sacrifices. That's an insufficient form of uh, system. When Jesus Christ came, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says, Therefore, everybody say, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, in other words, what this means is he's got to become like a man, just like you and me, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Therefore, holy brothers, you share in the holy calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest for our confession. Therefore, Jesus is the perfect mediator because of these three things. It's very quickly. I'm just going to run this down to you. The number one, because he is superior to all priests. And I just took the time to give you a demonstration of how it is to live in the sacrificial system if you were a high priest in Jerusalem. The priest would intercede for the people. He would sacrifice for them. In fact, he would actually bless them. The blessing that you get right after the service, normally I ask everybody to raise up your hand, right? And then I would declare, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and grant you peace. It is found in the priestly blessing in Numbers chapter 6, verse 27 to 29. That's where it's found. And indeed, every time the priest would bless the assembly, God was the one who instituted that blessing of the assembly for the Israelite. And when they leave the assembly, they would indeed be blessed. Anyway, how many of you want to be blessed? You'd love to be blessed, right? God used the priest. For blessing, but Jesus is a better priest. He gave us a complete blessing because of Christ. We now have every blessing in Christ. Amen. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. A great high priest, and his name is Jesus. There's a big difference between the Old Testament priest and Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 7, this is just 
quickly outlined here, the Old Testament priest has a temporary ministry because all of them die. After one would serve for several years, his son will take over, but that is a very temporary ministry. Jesus lives forever, and he has a permanent ministry. Every priest has sin. Can you imagine the big bull here in front? His sacrifice was bigger over the sacrifice for the people. That's a representation of how serious God wants His uh, leaders and spiritual leaders to represent Him well before the kingdom of God. Okay? Whereas Jesus is sinless. We know that. Okay? Next is, it's a yearly sacrifice. Jesus did it once and for all. He died once. He was buried once. He resurrected from the dead once. And you do not have to crucify Him again and again, year after year, because once is more than enough to save people from their sins. Amen? Come on, give the Lord praise for that. Only once. Once is enough. The, the, the Old Testament prophets would actually offer blood of animals. You know, different sin offerings and guilt offerings and burnt offerings, bulls, uh, you know, uh, lamb and, and ram and all these kinds of animals. Whereas Jesus did not offer any animal blood. He offered His own blood. That's a powerful picture. Because with the blood of Christ, it is more than enough to cover and atone and forgive and pardon your past, present, and future sins that you haven't even thought of. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is to forgive us. Amen? Our future is secure because of the blood of Christ. Amen? That's why there's access to the Father. Come on, give the Lord praise. There's access to the throne. You know, every time we come to God, we can actually come to Him, though we are not perfect, because we're not basing our coming to God on what we did, but on the blood of Jesus. And we have complete access to the Father because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. That's why when Jesus died on that cross, the first thing that happened was the earth shook and the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom because then only the high priest can enter the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies represents the presence of God. But that particular act is a statement that the presence of God is no longer limited to the high priest. It's now accessible to every believer in the Lord. And you can actually enjoy the presence of God anywhere you go. Amen. That's who we are right now. There's no more Holy of Holies. Because you and I are the temple of the living God. Amen. We are the temple. We are the Holy of Holies. In us is where God lives. Secondly, He sympathizes with us. He is a great high priest who actually feels what you feel and, and know what you need even before you ask. You know, God is not just one who gives us pity. God is not just one who declares, and does nothing about it. You know, sympathy is actually giving you mercy, but at the same time offering you help. And that's who our great high priest is. He's, it's in fact, it's as if he's saying, I know how you feel, and I'm going to help you in that. Jesus did not just know by observation. We know that God is omniscient. God knows everything, right? How many of you know that? God knows everything. God knows what you're feeling right now. God knows exactly what you're thinking right now, that you're thinking of food already. And that you're wishing Pastor Ariel would stop talking already because I'm hungry. Something like that. God knows that. It's fine. Okay? But yet God did not just know that because He is God. He made Jesus a man who felt the same thing that you and I have gone through. He was hungry. He experienced nakedness. He experienced thirst. He experienced abandonment. He experienced uh, you know, frustration. He experienced righteous indignation and yet was without sin. He was tempted, the Bible says, in every way. And if I may read verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect or in every way has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. He's a perfect mediator. He understands what you're going through right now. Some of you are really frustrated with life. Some of us are actually about to throw in the towel Many of us, maybe, or maybe some of us, would like to call it quits. But yet Jesus understands what you're going through. 
He understands your frustrations. He understands rejection. He understands betrayal. He understands how it is to be hungry. He understands how it is to be tempted, and yet he did not give in to temptation. The enemy came in and presented him three temptations, basically all the categories of sin in a man's life. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. Everyone, everything was given to Jesus, yet he did not bite it, and he was preserved in his sinless state. My last point is, not only is Jesus superior to all other priests, not only is he able to sympathize with our weakness, but he is also our sanctuary. Everybody say sanctuary. You know, when you say sanctuary, what's the picture that comes to mind? Maybe a temple, maybe a, you know, a, a, a holy, the most holy part of the temple. But actually, the other way to look at sanctuary is it's a refuge. It's a shelter. It's a place of strength. In fact, there's another uh, way that it was presented. It's like a nature reserve. That when birds that are exotic or extinct, they would be put in a bird sanctuary that no hunter can actually hunt them because they are preserved in that sanctuary. Guess what? Jesus, our great high priest, is our sanctuary. He is our refuge. You can run to Him and you are safe. Amen. The Bible says, you know, God is our helper and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It used to be a judgment seat, but because of what Jesus Christ did, it became a seat of grace, a throne of grace. And we can actually approach the throne of grace every single day. And God will not reject you because of your bad accomplishment. Whether you're a student who did not study for your class, that's okay. Not okay for your parents. But it's not based on that. It's based on the finished work of Christ on the cross. We can come to God boldly. Everybody say boldly. With confidence every single day because the access has been opened to us. You know, maybe some of you have multiple children. And if you have children, you know how they are growing up, right? They're always hungry. I have kids myself, and I know the feeling. Can you imagine if one day my youngest daughter, Andrea, and she loves to eat, what if she comes to me begging, Father, I'm so famished. Would you please give me some piece of bread from the ref? I would tell her, what's your problem? <laughs> Just go and open the ref, right? There's a picture of many of us. Sometimes we are ashamed and embarrassed to come to God because we don't feel like we're worth it. Guess what? It's not because of what you've done. It's because of what the great high priest has done on our behalf. Amen. That's why we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence. What do you need? What do you need tonight? What do you need nowadays? Do you need forgiveness from your compromise? Do you need salvation in your own home? Maybe some of us need healing from physical illness. Maybe there's someone in the family who's needing help as well, healing. Maybe someone is in need of financial breakthrough. Whatever our need is, the Bible says, let us then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you need salvation personally? Many of us are saved. Many of us are you know, recipients of the eternal life that Jesus wants to give to us. But maybe some are not. We can always find help in our time of need. Because it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus Christ did on that cross. Jesus is the perfect, my main point, is a perfect mediator that can stand between us and God. Just a few more scripture. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, it says, For there is one God, everybody say one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. And who is that mediator? Jesus Christ. There's no need for another mediator. One mediator is enough. 
And that's the best mediator, the best high priest. He's called the great high priest who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. That's why he was qualified to become the mediator between God and man because he is God, 100%, and he became man, 100%. He was not 50% God and 50% man. As an accountant, I could not figure it out. How can God, how can Jesus be 100% God and 100% man? He 200% siya. It doesn't make sense. This is one of the mysteries of the gospel. That Jesus is 100% God. Intact. His Godhead. His divinity was never diminished the moment He became a human being. And but at the same time, He became a man just like you and me. If you check His pulse, He's human. He's got flesh. He's got bones. He probably played basketball when He was younger. I don't know. He was a human being. He became hungry. He became thirsty. He was rejected. He had feelings. That's why he was qualified to become the great mediator. We don't need anyone to mediate for us except Jesus Christ himself. Amen. Come on. Give the Lord praise. That's the reason why we always come to him straight. Because even the Apostle Peter clarified this. Some people would think that the Apostle Peter was the founder of the church. He is not the founder of the church. Jesus is the founder of the church. When Jesus said to Peter, You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was not referring to Peter as the rock. Aren't you glad that the church of God is not built on a human being? Because the church of God is built on God Himself. And He is referring to Himself as the rock of the revelation of Christ. Peter confessed, You are the Christ. And Jesus said this to Peter, That is the revelation. That everyone will declare that Jesus Christ is the Christ. That Jesus Christ is the Lord. That's where we put our basis on building this church. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. Just write it down talks about God or Jesus Christ being the rock of the revelation. And in fact, just to clarify this, Peter, in his writing of the epistle, this is my last uh, verse. I'd like to ask the music team to join me here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he said this, and he was qualifying this, but you are a chosen race, every believer. Who's a believer here? Please raise your hand. You are a chosen race. Pinili tayo. Second, we are a what? A royal priesthood. That the priestly ministry was not limited to Christ and it was not limited to the Old Testament priest, but you and I are priests unto God because we have access straight to the Father. Amen. That when we are priests, we can actually help also and sympathize with other people and pray for them. A priest in the Old Testament prays for people. Guess what? You can actually pray for other people. Do you believe that? My prayer as a pastor is not more important or more effective than your prayer. I'd like to tell that to everyone. In James chapter 5, the Bible says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, not for forgiveness, but for healing. Because we can actually confess our sins straight to God for forgiveness. That's in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins to God, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen? That's the power of being a royal priest unto the Lord. That we may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Maybe you're here tonight and you have not given your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is the great high priest. He is the Lamb of God. He is Jesus Christ who is Lord over all. And He is offering the free gift of eternal life to anyone who repents and believes in what He did on the cross. And if you are that person, just very quickly, and if you want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you can have access to this throne of grace that we're talking about, tonight you can be set free. Tonight, you can be forgiven. 
tonight you can have eternal life. All you've got to do is acknowledge your need of God. If that is you, lift up your hands right now. I want to pray for you. Anyone at all? Yes, lift up your hand. Yes, God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. Anyone? Yes, 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 yes. I see those hands. Yes. Lift it up boldly. All across this room. If you, have, if you want to receive Jesus Christ, lift it up. Yes, lift it up high. If you're lifting up your hand, I want you to say this prayer out loud. In fact, why don't we all join them, okay? I'd like to ask the, 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 some of the victory group leaders to just uh, to maybe just help them later on to come to the front so we can assist them. If you're lifting up your hand, just pray this prayer out loud together with all of us. Let's say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner needing a Savior. Thank you for offering your life as a sacrifice on that cross so that I can be set free and forgiven from all my sins. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is my Lord and believe in my heart that He is raised from the dead. Therefore today, I know for certain that I am a child of God, washed by the blood and saved by His grace. And you are my Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer, congratulations. Speak to one of us right after we dismiss. I'd like for everyone to, to uh, lift up your hand. I want to just give you the final benediction. As we have declared, God has blessed this church. God wants to bless you individually. God wants to bless your family. God wants to bless the work of your hands. Father, we thank you so much that indeed because of what Jesus Christ did, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that you would bless your people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn His face and His countenance toward you and grant you peace. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Father, we thank you that the righteousness, the joy, and the peace of God be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen. We hope you were inspired by that message. Listen to more podcasts from our website at www.victoryalabang.org and in Victory Alabang app. Thank you and stay connected.